Alright. What's up everyone? This is Jarrell with Strength Guilds. Phil's out this weekend with uh what he described as gonosyphal aids, but I'm sure it's just whatever the flu is or whatever's going around. Um so it's gonna be me and Mike here, uh discussing a few topics with you guys and then uh hopefully you guys enjoy the show. Yeah, this is Dr. Mike Nelson, uh associate professor at the Caring Institute and yeah, I'm just getting ready to go do a live podcast today here in Minnesota about cold water immersion and sauna and a bunch of other fun stuff. They've got a cool thing going on down here. Of course, this will probably happen after <laughs> this goes out, but uh, yeah, so it'll be pretty fun. They've got a breathwork class there. They've got some cold water immersion, some sauna, and yeah, so it'll be pretty fun. So it's, it's uh, like a recovery thing or is it just like a... Um, it's part more, of the great, yeah, it's part of the great northern festival here in Minnesota. Uh, and it's at the Malcolm Yards in uh, Minneapolis. So my friend, uh, Krista Rimel is hosting it. She's from the Points, uh, retreat. And my other buddy, uh, Thaddeus Owen from, uh, Primal Hacker and I are doing a podcast with Krista, just kind of talking about, is it beneficial to do cold water? Should you be doing heat? Uh, what are kind of pros and cons in different types of, uh, heat, sauna, infrared versus non-infrared. And yeah, should be, should be pretty fun, which is why this one will be a little bit shorter. Cause I got to head, head out down there in, in a bit. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I mean, you guys up there, you can just cut a hole in the ice, you know, hop in. Yeah, we did that at the Fire and Ice <laughs> retreat they had at the points two years ago. I think they have it again this year too. I think it might be sold out, but yeah, we did that. It was, oh man, that day, I'll say it was three above, I think. Uh, wasn't super windy, but, um, that was cold. It was yeah. the, cutting a hole in the ice is a lot harder than you think to get humans to go safely into it and out. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Is it chilly down there? No, today is, today is a little warmer. It's going to be in the fifties, but it's going to drop sharply. Like the, the low is nine. So it'll drop some point today. Ooh, yeek. Or tonight. So, but yeah. Um, you were out, uh, last week. I believe you were at a conference, right? Yeah. I went to the local NSCA regional conference they had here. And it was really good. I mean, I'll, uh, probably like everywhere, a lot of that stuff got put on hold because of COVID and everything else going on. So I think the last time they had like kind of a state-ish level conference was three years ago now, I think. Um, yeah, it was good. Uh, I got hadn't seen it in a while. Uh, Dr. On Dan Ogborn was there. He works in Canada doing He's a PhD, and then he did a physical therapy degree also, I think. So he's doing kind of a blend of research, uh, rehab uh, type stuff up there. So that was cool to listen to him. Some pretty good talks on nutrition, and I'd say nothing earth-shattering from those. Uh, Brad Gillingham mm-hmm. did a nice talk on the use of sandbags, which was fun. And I didn't realize, like, uh, Rogue has... They're kind of shaped more like stones, kind of sandbags now. They have them in different yeah. shapes. 
And he yeah, said those are the ones that we have. Yeah, and he said they're pretty reliable. Like, they weren't leaking. They didn't break open. So I remember, man, years ago, I still have one of the early sandbags from Josh Henkin. Like, I think it was a prototype of his. And it was great. Like, the thing was built really well, but it didn't entirely seal. So I had to take, like, hefty trash bags and put sand inside of them and then kind of <laughs> stuff it inside of that. And then every so often the trash bags would break open. And you're like, oh, man. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah I know. Uh, in his later models, but yeah. I know Phil was always about using, uh, and that was just because it was kind of better than the norm at the time, like military, uh, duffel bags. Yes. Yeah. And it's like kind of same, and you just like, you know, duct tape a lot, but they don't, yeah, when you're throwing them around a lot with, you know, 100, 200 pounds or whatever, and then it's, they don't last long, but it's also not as expensive as buying something that's, the same, but also just the sandbag. You know what I mean? Like label the sandbag. Yeah. So, but yeah, we have the rogue ones and they, they've, they've held up. I have another, one other brand for the, I think it's a 225. I think the 225 is a different brand than rogue, but yeah, they're, they're, yeah, they're definitely built more like, uh, stones. And that's, so I have one guy who does strongman stuff and that's what we use like for, most of that style of lifting, like the stone or is the sandbag, it does not replace oh, right. the stone. So we do have to like try and get him access to a stone here and there to like practice. But, uh, as far as like training in the gym day to day, they work pretty well. So, I mean, if you guys are looking for a good sandbag that holds up and maybe a lot of them are like that now, I don't know, but I know the rogue ones that we have have been really good. Yeah, I ended up buying, I've got some of the ones from Josh Henkin, which were good. And then I've got some of the Iron Mind ones. And those were super durable, but <laughs> and I love the stuff from Iron Mind. It's high quality, but it's almost so basic. It's just like a canvas sack. So like to, yeah. to get different weights, I had to tie off the top in different spots. So if you're just picking it up for like super heavy sandbag stuff, it works good, but for anything else, it was like, eh, you know, you're kind of <laughs> a little bit more limited. So, yeah. Do you find sandbags are actually a little bit easier than stones if you had a sandbag of the same weight versus a stone or not? Uh, I think the sandbag is easier because it has some give. Like, right. in terms of lifting, it has some give. Like, so you, when you squeeze it, it gets a little bit closer. So you're, your actual radius to lift it is smaller. Yep. And with this, you know, there's no give on the stone. So if we're doing, so the events we've had to practice that have been a challenge are like, you know, stone to platform. Mm-hmm. And like he has, and like when you get to the heavier ones, you know, if you use some tacky or whatever, you, a lot of them put their arms over the stone. Yep. And that's kind of like the best way to do it versus like hug it. So it's like if you yeah. have to put your hands over, the sandbag is a terrible way to practice that. But if you if you're using a weight that you can hug, like just, you know, basically right across the center of mass, it's it it'll work okay. Uh still like if you have a stone event, like practice stones. But I will say it's it's a lot safer than stones too. Oh so yeah. So that's another thing I, I have to think about like in you know, just in the gym is like safety and stuff like that. And it's just yeah. more versatile for me. I had a bunch of stones before, and we hardly used them. But the 
sandbags, like I can use those all the time with different groups. Like they're, I use them for like, uh, like to kind of balance out some of the weightlifting training. I use it as, I kind of plug it into my GPP stuff with like sled drags and farmers carries and stuff like that. It's all, I use it in that context to like help, you know, stabilize the spine when it's hollow or in a bad position, not hollow, but when you're in a hollow position, as yeah. opposed to a, you know, when your back's in extension and yokes and stuff like that. But, but yeah, I use them a lot more, a lot more than I would ever use stones. So. Yeah, I still have some stones here, not super heavy. I think the heaviest one I have is only like 250. But I realized that the sandbag, even getting up off, sometimes off the bottom position, you can get your hands closer and it kind of deforms, so there's something to grab onto. But if you've yeah. got like a, a big stone and you're trying to get your arms even all the way around it, that bottom you know, kind of splayed finger open hand position can be kind of tricky too because of the amount of stress on your your hands that are open at that point depending upon and i didn't ever really use tacky because my stones weren't super heavy so i just figured well if i can get those without any tacky then i'm i'm doing okay (laughs) (laughs) instead of filling my garage full of like i don't know how many other ones (laughs) they they take up so much space too like the sandbags don't take up as much space and just a in terms of training, I just think it's just better to have sandbags and then use the stones as necessary if you're, you know, in terms of lifting, but for sure. Yeah. And then I had to rig up some stuff. So if I were to drop the stone, I didn't break everything and I don't have a platform. Oh, yeah. So I had to do a bar setup. So I took the axle and put weight on it, put it in the power rack, but then I had to put a, I basically just took a, a normal car tire, cut the top off it, which was actually my, tire sled and then i just took a three-quarter inch square piece of rubber put that on there put a phone book on the bottom so at least if the stone would hit it there was something to try to absorb a little bit of the impact (laughs) but then it makes it hard to do reps because you gotta fish it out of that thing and then yeah but it worked Uh, yeah, so the talks were good. Uh, Cal Dietz was presenting there on some stuff he's working on with, uh, triphasic two and transfer of training and functional training complexes. So it was always good to hear from him and wasn't, wasn't really anything new for me since I'm helping him write up the second triphasic book, which we're still working on. So, <laughs> there you go. so yeah, it was a good conference. Cool. And that was the NSCA. That's what I did, right? Yeah, yeah. So it was an all day one. And yeah, there's some other good talks on like, um, basically vertical, um, I'm sorry, velocity based training. And one of the guys from St. Thomas there was talking about how they work with their teams and trying to collect some, some data. And yeah, and it was just kind of nice to see everyone again and go to some good educational talks. That's, you know, only a half hour from my house too, which is nice. This might be a good segue into this, but did anyone talk about uh, the mouth taping? No, but I do it. (laughs) Yeah, so I saw, and then somebody sent it to me on Instagram, like, uh, so his brother is the head coach of Tulane, and he sent me a pic that they were using it. Their strength and conditioning coach was using it at Tulane. Hmm. Um, 
just and I've seen it a little bit more, just like the mouth taping stuff. Um, so that that was one of the topics I thought we'd bring up today is just like, what is it? Like, what are the benefits? Like the, I mean, I wouldn't, I guess, I wouldn't say it's a downside because it doesn't seem very like cost would be the big thing, but it doesn't seem really like you know crazy expensive or anything. So. No, I mean, the first time I ever heard about it was, oh, God, five years ago now at a conference, and it was longer than that, probably five years ago at a, my buddy Dr. Ben House's place in Costa Rica. I was down there doing a talk, and my buddy Paul Manji was asking me, he's like, hey, do you use mouth taping? Like, mouth taping? What the, the hell are you talking about? That sounds like a horrible idea. So he was <laughs> explaining it to me, and I was like, I don't know, I'll check into it. So idiot me goes, you know, five, six years ago to, to Google mouth taping. And at that point, <laughs> it was of the opinion that, okay, breathing through your nose is better. Right. That's some of Patrick McEwen's stuff and some of the stuff from the book Breathe also, uh, which is uh, James Nestor, uh, which that book wasn't out yet. And the thought was just keep your mouth closed at night. And so I Google mouth taping and there was people taking like, insane amounts of duct tape around their mouth like one video <laughs> running it around his head and i'm like oh my god what the hell this is the stupidest thing i've ever seen in my life and so you know a year or two go by and i'm you know playing around with more nasal breathing you know got into all that kind of stuff and i was like well maybe i should try the mouth taping again and as soon as i put a piece of tape on my mouth like all the way across i could tell i just started freaking out you know, you're just like, oh, oh, so I'm like, wait a minute. This should be more of an indicator, not necessarily like physically restraining myself from trying to breathe through my mouth at night because that's going to completely mess up your sleep. So I was primarily using it for sleep at that point. So I just took a piece of the, the 3M micropore tape, which in my opinion is all you can use. You can buy a whole box of it for like $8 on Amazon. And just put a small piece of tape right across your upper and your lower lip. And then your goal is to see if you can sleep through the night, what I do with clients, without the tape coming off. And you can easily open your mouth and breathe, right? So it's not like, because I didn't want it to be a stressful situation where you wake up in the middle of the night and you're freaking out and you're trying to get all this tape off your face. So I started doing that around the same time I started doing more uh, nasal breathing with exercise. So I would routinely have people, especially like the CrossFit people I worked with, because most of them needed a better aerobic base. And I'd be like, okay, so how far can you do, like, say, what's your time or your power on a 5K with only nasal breathing or a 20-minute or a 2K, knowing that it's going to be, well, you know, sub-max. And a lot of times I would just look at their max heart rate. You know, so one guy in particular – like his max heart rate he could hit with only nasal breathing was like 112. I was like, oh, that's not so good. Um, but within two months of doing it, he could easily hit 155, just still breathing through his nose. Um, and his aerobic capacity went up quite a bit. Granted, you know, he's training at the same time too. So initially I just did it with CrossFit people to find a way to stop them to turn everything into a max attempt. I'm like, yeah. you can go as hard as you want, bro. You just can't breathe out of your mouth. They're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> and then they do it. Their heart rate's like 120. They're like, how did that feel? They're like, that was fucking horrible. I loved it. I'm like, oh, great. 
we we got you not to go and hit you know 160 heart rate for 10 minutes again. So, yeah. um, that's mainly how I started using it, and you know some stuff from Cal. I know Cal's used it a fair amount, and I don't know. I think it's useful. I think it's a useful tool. I would have never expected it's like super popular now. I guess, which is yeah. kind of weird, but I don't know. Have you I, played around with it? And I, use it? I have not. I actually was going to just to just to see like what was going on with everything, but um, I, I'm mostly only saw it for sleep. I even before, uh, well, up until even that uh, John sent me the thing that the Tulane football players are doing. I had only seen it for as a thing for sleep, like yeah. Just like use it at night and you know, whatever. I never thought about it as a thing that you would use in a training session, but it made me think a little bit about just because I do jujitsu now is like that is actually oh, a yeah. big thing is like trying to try not to, you know, let your heart rate get up and stay in the game pretty much, like not going too hard and all that stuff. And so sorry, man, I'm not going to do it with jujitsu. So they're already trying to, <laughs> so I'm not going to like test it out. <laughs> but in terms of like training, like doing some like sled work and some stuff like that, I'll, I'll mess around with it a little bit. And, uh, I have used, uh, not used it, but I, I have, uh, recommended it to some people for like, they struggle with like sleeping stuff and like to start trying to work on like that, just n- nasal breathing as they sleep. Mm-hmm. And I did one thing before, same group. And obviously it's because I was coaching crossers at the time. This was like crossfit at least on my day. So more than 10 years ago. And it was just like, like biting onto a t-shirt and like keeping, like just biting onto it throughout the workout. So you couldn't open your mouth to breathe. <laughs> and, and it was like fine, but it, I, I mean, personally, I was just like, this looks stupid. I don't want to, I don't want to continue this. It kind <laughs> of cool. But, um, but I had always had the, like the same, premise with like lower intensity work is trying to get people to just do nasal breathing on the low intensity stuff and then you know you can do whatever on the high intensity stuff but but yeah that was my that was the first interest I had in it you know resurgence in it is is now and I've kind of seen it growing I've seen people posting it and doing more stuff on the gram about it so yeah, what I found over the years is, I mean, where I'll start with people is if I can do stuff with them in person, I'll do a lot of RPR, be activated, hands-on work to get their breathing more efficient to start. Because most people's patterns are all kind of goofed up. They're using their upper neck and stuff too much, their diaphragm. Yeah, it's it's working, but ribcage expansion is limited, especially, you know, posterior medial spinal expansion, like, you know, opening your rib cage to the back, all that kind of stuff. Usually just getting that open and working a lot better makes a huge difference. Like resting heart rates will go down quite a bit. HRV will go up. And that kind of gives them more of the capacity to do better breathing. So you're trying to facilitate their mechanics. And then I normally have them start with, like you said, low to moderate intensity exercise. If I'm really trying to, if someone really likes numbers and is very competitive, like the CrossFit people, I'll have them do like a 20 minute or a 5k on the rower, just nasal breathe only. Send me your data, send me your heart rate. 
and then we'll just redo that same test again in usually four week intervals. And usually you'll see like a big jump up between week four and week eight, depending on how bad they are. Um, and their recovery is normally much better too. So if you look at their HRV scores the next day, you'll see that they can do more output, hit a higher heart rate, but yet their HRV isn't nearly as taxed. So they're actually more efficient uh, doing it. And then if they have some issues with sleep, I'll probably have them start taping their mouth at night. Um, beyond that, you can get into all sorts of difference, which is uh, Brian McKenzie's stuff from the Art of Breath. Uh, Rob Wilson's there too. And their course is super helpful for that. You can get into all sorts of, you know, inhale, exhales at different amounts. Um, they've got a really good test on their website that's like a, they call it a CO2 tolerance test, but it's an, an exhale nasal test just to see kind of where people's breathing patterns are at. And I've been using that for you know, probably four years now. And it seems to be pretty good, right? So if your score on that is real low, your mechanics are probably screwy or you've got the VO2 max of a field mouse, <clears throat> like something's going on. Um, and then if they're inversed, then you kind of know what's going on. Like I had a guy the other day looking at his assessment. His VO2 max was pretty decent. He actually had a, a test done on it in the lab, but his CO2 tolerance was like really crappy. So then I'll look at what's their respiratory rate at night if they're using a Whoop or an Aura or something to measure it, a Garmin can measure it too. And then his was still elevated at night. So his breathing at night was like 17 and a half breaths per minute. So my guess is he's got some mechanical issues going on probably in addition to some other stuff. So that's what I've used. It's kind of useful. So you can kind of correlate. And then normally if they do mouth breathing, or I'm sorry, if they do nasal breathing at night, pretty much across the board, their their breaths per minute will come down. Uh, resting heart rate will get a little bit better. HRV scores are normally better. And then Brian McKenzie has what he calls a gears system. So it's just a way of matching breathing to exercise intensity. So your first step would just be nasal, breathe in and out. Next step would be Nasal breathing in and out, but at a faster rate. Third step or the third gear would be inhale through your nose, exhale through your mouth. And the last gear would be mouth in and mouth out. You know, and that's kind of the progression I take people through with different types of cardio. And I'll, I'll program initially what breathing style I want them to use. Um, cause I've seen a few VO2 max tests or a couple people I've tested here too, cause I'm one of those weirdos that actually owns a metabolic card and moxie setup and <laughs> all that fun stuff. And a couple of people, I was like, what? Your, your respiratory rate's not that high. Are you sure this is a max test? They're like, yeah, it was just horrible. And I'm like, it took me a while to figure it out. And I started asking them, especially on remote stuff. I'm like, were you nasal breathing the only the old, the whole time? And like two of them are like, yeah, cause they told me that's better. I'm like, but this is a max test. Like you, you don't want to be limited by airflow. You're going to be limited by something else. So, you know, when you're doing all out max, you can get more air in and out of your mouth. So at some point you're going to be breathing in and out of your mouth. That's not a, that's not a bad thing, but you know, it's, 
you go to most gyms, you see people doing the opposite, right? They're doing their warm up and they look like they're breathing like a, a guppy already. <laughs> yeah. I haven't thought about that. Um, but actually it's pretty interesting. I might give that a shot with some of my athletes. Just, well, not this training cycle, but the next one. Yeah. Just I dictating mean, I, that, the intensity on. Yeah. I find it almost easier than heart rate. And if you want to get really crazy, you can just look at heart rate as a cross check. Um, because some people it's just like, okay, just do some boring cardio. And especially this is anecdotal. If they're, have like squirrel brain, they appear to be like super ADD, like have a hard time focusing on anything. To me, it's like, okay, get on a rower or even a bike. And I want you to breathe in and out, you know, two second inhale, two second exhale, low, moderate intensity, breathe in through your nose, out through your mouth, whatever I want to spec. And even just doing that, a lot of times after a couple of weeks of doing that, people just feel a lot better mentally. And I don't know if there's something going on with the CO2 or the aerobic increase or the fact that you're forcing them to concentrate <clears throat> for a period of time. Um, might be all the above. You know, that's also why I like using the rower or even the echo bike because you can stare at your power output the whole time and it gives people something to actually focus on instead of just spacing off into wherever, you know, because if you've done enough rower stuff where if you're at an even moderate to high intensity and you start spacing out for a little while, like your watch just just drops. <laughs> yeah. Because your body's like, I don't want to do this. This sucks. <laughs> so I find some of that work can be helpful. I got one last thing here. I think we'll fit. We'll save the uh, USA or USPA drama for next week, but that way we get yeah. Phil's involved but uh it feels better soon yeah i I assume they'll be back we'll see um but we'll save the fun uspa drama stuff for next week yeah Uh, so one last nothing about it oh it's i mean it'll it'll kind of fizzle probably by next week but there's been a lot going (laughs) on um this one was asked uh just to me personally because they somebody went to a powerlifting meet the other day and they asked uh like the why for smelling salts like the the why the effectiveness of smelling salts and why would you use them at all uh, <clears throat> i don't know my my bias is there's a little bit of research on it it was kind of mixed last time i checked which was a couple of years ago <clears throat> it's just a high sympathetic output like slap in the face basically you know and you'll you'll see some lifters do really well with them and you'll see some lifters just (laughs) it's like not good (laughs) so i don't know i just found that it's individual i tried them once and i was like how the hell does anybody use these things i just i was a mess so i haven't really tried them since then (laughs) yeah i've done no, I don't use them personally. Mostly because, like, weightlifting itself is, yeah, <laughs> it's more like you have to. There's more technical, so it's like there's a more calm aspect to it. Yeah, there's more fine um, motor skill than powerlifting. Yeah, so to override like your 
that essentially just overrides your neural protection to lift a weight. Probably fine. I don't even personally like my powerlifters. I don't encourage it. Like they'll get into it on their own. And I'm like, look, if you want to do it, yeah, I'll tell them how to like go about it. Like you need to do it in training outside of the meet at least once. Oh, yeah. So you know, like how it goes. And, and even then, I don't know that and it's hard to say, man. I don't know if some of it's theatrical to me. Like, oh, sure. You know, it's not necessarily, and it might get you in the mood and stuff and like put you in the right state of mind. But personally, I don't think that it's like, you know, these needs. Plus, I see like people do so much of it. Like they just do it all the time. And then it's like, if you do it, you know, in training often, it's going to ruin the effect from when you need it anyway. You know, so if people do it, for me, it's like they got to do it on their own. Like they got to come to it on their own and they got to try it in training, but you save it for meets. So that way there's actually an effect. Mm-hmm. But seeing these people who like need a bunch of it or like the more like concentrated stuff, it's like, no way. There's no <laughs> way. And I would even say I see people use it at meets a lot of times. They'll use it on opener, second attempt, and third attempt. And I'm like, no, no, no. Just oh. use it one, <laughs> you know, your final, you know, whatever it is, your your big attempt. So that way it's like a powerful effect. But, and I mean, some there are some way that there's who do use it or they like put some stuff on their arm. I've seen that. I don't know what that stuff is, but seen some of the, uh, you know, Eastern European guys, Russians and stuff. They'll put something on their arm and they just like whiff it before they go out there. But, and I, I think that stuff is probably more calm. Yeah. And it might just be like, uh, you know, you're trying to tie that, the smell or the sensation of that smell to like focus, like yes. putting you in the right state of mind, like some sort of olfactory response thing. But, uh, otherwise, like personally, and you know, I don't even know that Phil's into it that much. Like he'll use some, but even still, he's the one who kind of helped me set the rules on how I go about, you know, using it for my athletes and stuff. So, but I, I, I was like, look, give it a shot. Like I'll buy some stuff. You guys can give it <laughs> a shot one day on, you know, cause we just had a, you know, one room max day on, you know, back squats this week. And they were like, Oh, oh nice. should we use long thoughts? And I was like, no. But if you want to try it out, I'll I'll get some and you guys can try it. But part of it, like when you first use it, it's going to make your eyes water so bad. Like if you use it, right. God. And it's like you can't see. And so it's like your eyes are watering and it just looks like you're crying going up to the bar. It's a, it's, it's not my favorite way to lift, but, um, but yeah, it's override that, that actual nervous system response that that actual defense of this is dangerous could be effective i try to get people to like manage their you know mostly going into lifts calm but i think that's the nature of the sports that i'm involved with as opposed to oh yeah you know the effectiveness of uh, ammonia and there are other like you know various smelling salts and there's a whole lot of brands out now that have a bunch of different stuff but yeah and like you said i i can make a physiological argument that 
if you're only using it for max attempts and you're generally successful with them, you kind of have that neural anchoring of the, you know, the olfactory, the smell, which we know is very powerful for, you know, listening memories, et cetera, that, you know, oh, yeah, the last time I had the smell, I, you know, I had PRs like the last five times, you know, so ah, this time it's great. You know, yeah, I could, you know, kind of see that. But then you're not doing that on your opening attempt then either. <laughs> yeah. If you need it on your opening attempt, I think you picked an opening attempt that's way too heavy. <laughs> yeah, I, or people just love using it. And, I mean, I think, I mean, I don't know, Phil had talked about that before. Some people like being able to get, like, almost addicted to it. Oh, yeah. it's To me, it's like for any lifter or any performance athlete, do you want some type of ritual to get you, you know, in the right motor patterns, in the right headspace? 100%. But then, you know, it's like the U-stress model. But then with more advanced athletes, I try to screw them up and see if they can still lift. It's like, did you forget your favorite shoes? You don't have your favorite socks on? Whatever. <laughs> Doesn't matter. It's go time, so you got to go. Right. It's yeah. a, the fine line of, yeah, you need a routine, but you, you can't be so fragile that if, cause you know, right at a meet, especially bigger meets where you're traveling, something gets screwed up. It's just going to happen. You know, you do enough of them and can you be resilient enough to not have that affect you either? Agreed. Agreed. Nice. Uh, yeah. I think uh I think we hit the thirty minute mark for you and you gotta go do uh another podcast. Yeah. Things things, but cool man. Have a good week. You as well. I guess. <laughs> um otherwise it'll be cold tomorrow, but otherwise we'll see you guys next week for another great episode. And we'll be discussing at least for some portion of it the all the fun USPA stuff and probably some other fun science-y topics. I'll try to get some more of those up this week, and we'll see you guys next week. Sounds good. See ya. Bye.